at what it does look like to parent children and raise a family according to the reality of God's kingdom. We know, we know that everyone makes their own choices and everyone makes their own decisions about how they're going to live and what they're going to believe. But I want to suggest to you that the parent relationship is one of the most influential opportunities that we see. And I want to talk about how we live this out and how we think about this according to the reality of God's kingdom. Now, if, if you're scratching your head a little bit or if you're just new with us and you're saying, what's this, this kingdom talk? Well, let me just get really basic for a moment. A kingdom, a kingdom is a region that has a king, right? And the king lays out the rules for living in that kingdom. So a kingdom has a king, it has a set of rules, and a kingdom has people who are subject to the king, who live according to the standards laid out by the king. Now Jesus in the Gospels tells the people who were in his presence to repent and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven had come near. That means, and, and what he was telling them is that God is on his throne, God is a king, God is the supreme king, and he calls for us to live for him above all else. And because of Jesus, we who believe in him are restored into God's kingdom. And we're part of God's kingdom whether we sit here at Waterway Church in East Nottingham Township in Oxford, PA, or whether someone sits in a prison cell not too many yards away, or whether someone walks around Longwood Gardens not too far from there. If we are part of God's kingdom, no matter where we are geographically, we recognize that God is the king, that he calls us to live for him above all else, that we can be restored into God's kingdom because of Jesus Christ, and that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is God dwelling in us. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is near. And now as I kind of transition from that introduction about the kingdom into talking about parenting, I, I do want to put out a few caveats about kingdom parenting. Some people are parents who don't want to be parents. There are lots of ways that someone might end up in this place. Maybe there's an inconvenient or an unplanned pregnancy. Maybe you are someone who is caring for your grandchildren, or you're parenting a niece or a nephew, or a young one who you never expected to have to serve as their parents. And so there are, there are some things that may be difficult about hearing a parenting message, but let me suggest to you that I think God has something to say to you today. Some of you are parents who don't want to be. But there are some of you who are sitting in this room, and I've been in your seat. There are some of you who long to be parents, and you are not, for a host of reasons that perhaps you don't even understand. I know these messages can be difficult, but hang in. I think God has something to say to you. These are the times when we find ourselves in places where we don't want to be. These are the times where we have to remember that God is the king. He is in control. And while we have all kinds of different stories, the big story that we are caught up in belongs to God. And as long as we're living, our stories aren't finished yet. Not everything that is going to happen has happened. So please, church, recognize who the king is. Your life is not all about you, whether you like your life or not. And parenting children is not all about you, whether you have that privilege right now or not. This is not about you. This is true in most areas of life, but we need to keep this in mind so that we find our identity and our mission and our peace in God, not in our desires, not in our failures, and not in our accomplishments. Our King, our Father in heaven, our God defines us. So with that in mind, let's step into God's word. I'd like to look with you at four verses in the book of Ephesians. 
Last week, we studied Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where Paul writes that all believers should submit to each other. All of us should submit to each other, to think of others above ourselves, to put others' ideas in a place of value, to honor and respect each other. We are called to submit to each other. And I talked last week about how Wives are called to submit to their husbands, and husbands are called to love their wives and all that kind of stuff. If you'd like to learn more about that, you can go online and listen to last week's sermon. But after that discussion of husbands and wives, we get into this place in Ephesians 6 where the Apostle Paul, inspired by God, wrote this. He said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Parents, say amen. All right, that was all right. We're getting there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on this earth. That's a quote of Deuteronomy chapter 5, one of the Ten Commandments. So here Paul says, children, obey your parents. But then there is also an instruction to parents, specifically noted here as fathers, but this applies to fathers and mothers. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So here in these four verses, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In these four verses, there is instruction for children. Honor your father and mother. Implicit in this statement is that both fathers and mothers are engaged in guiding children. Parenting is not just the father's responsibility and is not just the mother's responsibility. Now, this broken world brings about all kinds of situations, difficult situations, and we know this, right? We know that not all fathers are present, not all mothers are present. We know that people are taken from us before we wish. There are all kinds of situations, but what we find in this verse is that God's intention, God's design is that fathers and mothers raise kids together. And God is very clear in the Bible that children are to honor their parents. They don't honor their parents above God. Kids, if your parents ever tell you to do something that God says not to do, listen to God. Listen to God. But we can see in Ephesians 6 that there is also instruction for parents, particularly fathers. Do not exasperate your children. What was the word that Ross read this morning in the the newer translation? Do not embitter your children from Colossians chapter 3. Do not exasperate your children. Some other translations even say, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, kids get frustrated at their parents. How many of you have ever been frustrated with your parents? Raise your hands really high if they're sitting beside you. (laughs) Kids get frustrated at their parents. This is how it goes. People don't like the guardrails. People don't like the input that is given sometimes. But exasperation and provoking to anger and embitterment, this is all really more about an ongoing parental behavior that builds resentment or anger in a kid. There are lots of ways that that can happen. There are all kinds of traps that fathers and mothers fall into in dealing with their children. Sometimes it's smothering. Can't spell smother without mother. Wait, that's, that's not on the page. Maybe it's smothering, not allowing the child to have appropriate freedom for their age and for their situation, right? You all have seen other people who had too tight a hold on their children. You saw how the children sometimes got angry or embittered because there was just too much. Sometimes in families, there is favoritism. 
Parents pick one kid over the other one. And this causes exasperation. This causes anger. This causes resentment, right? Sometimes kids are compared to other kids, even their own siblings. Did any of you ever hear, oh, you should be more like your brother or more like your sister? You like it when you hear that, don't you? No, we don't. But some parents, not even realizing what they're doing, they, they fall into these traps and they embitter their children. They exasperate their children. God says, parents, don't do that. Sometimes parents push achievement so hard. The kids know they will never live up to their parents' designs for them. This can build resentment. This can build anger. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about challenging your children and encouraging them and telling them to study or practice or do the things that they ought to do. What we're talking about here is, is the kind of stuff that is just so over the top and so extreme that the kid almost, almost has no chance but to get angry and get frustrated and lash out. Always we parents have ideas for our children and we got to edit the way that we say these things. But God says, do not exasperate your children. Don't smother them or play favorites or compare them or push achievement. Parents, do not withhold love or affection. Some of you had a father or a mother who was distant and cold. And though you would say that perhaps they did the best that they could, you knew that there was affection that they didn't give you and you missed it. Some people are able to just kind of set that aside. That's how they were and deal with it. But for some people, that provokes anger. And, and there are some fathers and mothers who choose not to give that affection to their kids. God says, don't do that. Don't exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then there are those terrible stories where parents, fathers and mothers, abuse or neglect their children physically, verbally, and in all kinds of ways that we're not going to make a catalog of today. No, parents, and here fathers are specifically addressed, are supposed to bring up children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. This means all kinds of biblical instruction needs to be passed along, but chief among those instructions is the command to love. Because what did Jesus say? The most important commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Parents, that applies to you as you deal with your children. Children, that applies to you as you deal with your parents. And this must be instructed because children don't do this on their own. Every once in a while, you have a kid that's easier than the other kids or more compassionate than the other kids, and, and maybe they seem to take care of themselves. But parents, you need to teach your children the way that they should go. Because if you don't, someone else will. Let's hope and pray that if someone else does teach them, that they teach them well. But I think we all can understand how dangerous it is if we step back and allow all the teaching to happen somewhere else, especially in this dark world, right? We need to teach our kids to love the Lord, to love their neighbors, and to love themselves. And this is why God says, don't exasperate your children or provoke them to anger, but teach them to love and live in holiness and serve God above all. I mentioned a number of ways that anger might be provoked, but parents, remember that hypocrisy provokes perhaps as much anger as anything else. Fathers, parents, as you instruct your children, your instruction must be, must be both spoken and lived. Preaching only goes so far. In fact, preaching can turn someone off if the preacher is not living the message. And some of you parents have been empty preachers not on purpose, and not all the time, but there have been times where you've told your kids to do something that you were clearly not doing. 
Do that once or twice, and there'll be some frustration, and it'll move on. Do that for their whole childhood, and there will be anger, and there will be resentment, both at you and the thing that you were trying to instill in them. Our vision statement here, Ross mentioned it this morning. We want to see everyone we know become more like Jesus. As a church, we want to proclaim with word and deed the love of God and the saving power of the gospel so that people can be saved and grow in understanding and behavior and in service to God and others. We want everyone we know, including ourselves and perhaps most of all our families, to become more like Jesus. How do we do this? We don't exasperate people, but we train and instruct in the Lord. This is what we're trying to do as a church. That makes sense. This is what you're supposed to be doing in your households too, fathers and mothers. So how do we do this? What's this look like, right? We've got the theory. We've got the Bible verse. What do we do? Well, I wonder, for those of you who like alliteration and outlines, I got something for you here. I wonder if your greatest opportunities in the stages of parenting and dealing with children come down to these three. First of all, presence. Presence in the early years to establish your priorities. We'll come back to that and repeat it, but presence in the early years. Second, I think really important is predictability in the teen years to embed your priorities. And then finally, prayer that embodies your priorities. Let's unpack that a little bit. First of all, presence in the early years. Parents, you need to establish your priorities with your kids. The things that you intend to do, the things that are important to you, the things that that you feel like need to pass on, you need to be intentional about establishing that with your kids. And when your kids are little, when they are young, like these little ones who are here in front, your presence matters more than perhaps anything else. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says that we are to start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. But you need to be there to be able to establish that, right? Some of you have rigorous work schedules. I know, I know, I understand that. But when you're not at work, are you present for your kids? Are you just wrapped up in your own life, your own hobbies, your own concerns, and your own cares? Are you present for your children, fathers and mothers? Are you as present as you need to be? Not just paying attention to are they fed and do they have a place to live and are they wearing enough clothes right now? But are you paying attention to their their being, who they are and how they're built? Melanie showed me this passage in uh, in this book. Uh, Josh McDowell was the speaker at one of our church conferences back in the fall. Josh has written a lot of stuff over the years. He wrote a book, uh, and I've only read a little bit of it, um, but I've been enjoying it so far. It's called Set Free to Choose Right. And I'm going to do something I don't do very often. I'm I'm going to read you a page out of this book because this hit me, and I think, parents, this could be really helpful for you as you think about what it means to be present for your kids. So here's here's what Josh wrote as he was Reflecting back on his time when he was a younger father, he said, I wanted my kids to always know that my Christian rules were there because I loved them. And he said, sometimes I had to get a little creative in finding ways of entering their world. He said, when my son Sean was around 10 years old, he was really into sports cars. He often cut out magazine pictures of cars like Maseratis, Lamborghinis, and Ferraris. He pinned them up on his bedroom wall and thought they were so cool. Any of you lived through that, either as a parent or a kid? Here's what Josh McDowell said. He said, I noticed his newfound interest. And one day I really surprised him. I looked through the yellow pages. Uh, young people, the yellow pages is a book, <laughs> is a book where we used to look and you could look up topics and it would give you phone numbers of people and, and especially businesses that could help you out. But Josh McDowell looked in the yellow pages. His son Sean's about my age. So when the boy was 10, it was a different time. 
says, I looked through the yellow pages and picked out some of the top sports car dealerships in Beverly Hills. Then I sent each car dealer a letter that said, and this is continuing to be a quote. He said, I'm a desperate dad. I'll do anything to spend time with my son. And right now he's into sports cars. If I pulled him out of school and brought him up to your showroom, would it be possible for us to take some test drives? I want to tell you up front, I'm not interested in buying a car. Here's what Josh McDowell said. He said, amazingly, I got positive replies from every dealer. I called and made appointments, and we drove up to Beverly Hills, 150 miles away, for a day in sports car showrooms. And what a day it was. I waited in the showrooms while Sean went out on test drives with salesmen and tried out just about every big-name car you can think of. As he came by the showroom in each car, he always waved to me with an irrepressible ear-to-ear -ear grin stretching across his face. He was so proud. Along with the test drives, we got posters, some of which were autographed by famous race car drivers. It was an incredible day. On the way home, I asked Sean which cars he liked best and chatted about all the flyers, books, and posters he had collected. Then I gently switched the subject and started him asking him how our Christian values related to spending a lot of money on expensive sports cars. You know, Sean, I said, all these cars are fun, but they cost huge amounts of money. Let's think about what God has called us to value as a family. And through a series of questions, I began to probe the difference in the value of those cars and the value of God's love for us, what Christ did on the cross, what that means in terms of how we use our resources and how we fulfill the purpose of our creation. And with that beginning, I led my 10-year-old son to discover the emptiness of materialism in a way that was much more effective than simply giving him a set of rules on how to spend money wisely. I like that. I like that. There's a father who was present did he get his message across to his child? Yes, it seems like it. He was able to instill his values and pass along his theology. This is what Christ did for us. This is how much he values us. This is how much we value the resources that we've got. But he did it by tapping into this passion that his son had and then asking questions. Not the kind of question, well, what are you doing? But the, hey, what do you think? What about that? That's powerful stuff. Parents, Especially in those early years, especially if your kid's in that 10 and under crowd, are you present? Are you present enough to be able to establish your priorities and your children? If you're not, I would suggest that the other things that are stealing your time, you better look at them really closely and see if it's worth it. These years are going to go quickly. If your kids are a little bit older, maybe they're not just... Maybe, maybe they're not just a 10-year-old into sports cars. Maybe they're a 19-year-old that has one. What do you do? I, I want to suggest to you that just as presence in the early years to establish your priorities is important, I think predictability, especially in those teen years, and maybe even stretches into the 20s, but predictability in those teen years is really important as you embed your priorities in your kids. As your kids begin to step into their own decision-making and discernment, you want these years of exploration and growing independence to help your faith and values grow deep roots in the hearts and minds of your kids so that your faith can be mirrored in them one day. You want to see them grow up to love Jesus the way you do, right? You want to see them have Christian values the way you do, right? They're not going to be exactly like you, but don't you want to see your kids grow up with that kind of faith? Isn't that your hope? You can't make it happen, 
but you sure can help it happen by being predictable in the teen years. Not predictable as in, well, dad has his routine and he's going to come in and he's going to sit in that chair for this long and then mom's going to make the same supper again and then tonight we're going to do the same boring thing. I mean, kids think everything is boring, so boring is boring. But what I'm talking about as far as predictability is that, is that you are able to be seen for who you are and your kids know how you would handle a situation. Because when you're 13-year-old or 15-year-old or 18-year-old is stepping out into the world, don't you want them to think about things the way that you might? You don't want them to think about things the way that you did when you were a kid, right? How many of you have said, kid, don't do what I did? A lot of parents have said that thing, and we meant it. I keep saying it. But parents, wouldn't you just love it if you could download your knowledge and wisdom right into your kids? Well, we can't plug in like that yet. But you can be present when they're little. And you can live out your values with such consistency and with such determination in their growing up years that when they do go out in the world, they're going to have to make their own decisions, but they don't have to wonder, what should I do? Because they know what you would think. They know how dad would deal with this because they've seen dad deal with it the same way every time. They know how mom might think about that because they've had that conversation with mom over and over and over again. Do you know what I'm saying here? Presence for the little ones, but some predictability for the teen years so that, so that those kids can, can think in a way that, that might be able to drag them beyond their inexperience and help them to make good decisions. It's strange now and wonderful, but my parents attend this church, and they're sitting here in this room. Now I'm going to talk about them for a moment. Mom and Dad, I'm sorry. Thank you for being present and for being predictable, and thank you for your prayers. But I remember a time, I was 19 years old. I was a, uh, I was a freshman in college, and so I had been living away from home for a couple of months, and I came back home over Christmas break. I had a job where I worked, with, um, I worked with a buddy of mine from high school. We worked in his dad's company in Lancaster doing HVAC work. And there was one day over that Christmas break where uh, it was a Friday, and in the morning it started snowing really hard. We were in Lancaster, we were working, and at about 11 o'clock, the dispatcher called us all out and said, come back in, it's snowing too much. It was one of those things like, you know, four or five inches an hour kind of a snow. He said, come on back, we're quitting at lunchtime, we're sending everybody home. And so Dustin and I got excited because, hey, we had, we had the rest of the day off, and it's snowing. You know, that's really fun when you're 19. You old people, remember what it was like when snow was fun? <laughs> it was snowing, and we're going home, and Dustin had just gotten a new GMC Blazer, Jimmy. Four-wheel drive, we were excited, and we got this idea as we were driving back to the shop to drop off our vans and get in our vehicles to go home. He said, hey, why don't we go up to the cabin for the weekend? And I had never been to Dustin's cabin. It was about two and a half hours away. And, um, and he said, yeah, we've got the afternoon off. Neither of us had anything to do on Saturday and Sunday. He said, why don't we take the, why don't we take the, the, the new truck and we'll go up to the cabin. It'll be great. There won't be anybody on the roads because it's all snowing. And we looked at each other and said, yeah, let's do this. And I got home and, and it was uh, just after lunchtime and I was starting to pack up stuff and, and dad was still at work, but mom was at home. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, me and Dustin are going to go to the cabin this weekend. She said, no, you're not. I said, no, mom, you don't understand, which is always the first line of a great plan for a 19-year-old kid. You don't understand. The, the truck's four-wheel drive, 
and we're going we're gonna to wear our snow clothes, and we're going to stop at Fergie's and get a bunch of groceries, and we're gonna, it's going to be great. We'll be in the mountains. And, and most, no, you're not, you're not going. I was a 19-year-old who had been away from home for a couple of months. And you guys know what it's like, especially for teenage boys listening to mom's guidance. That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing to navigate. And so mom, um, she didn't exasperate me, but I was exasperating her. She said, well, you're going to have to talk to your dad. And so I called dad at work, and I explained, my, I explained our plan. And he said, he said, well, and I can still remember this. I don't, I don't know if you do, dad. But he said, well, if I was you, I wouldn't go. This sounds like a bad idea. And, and by now, this is just after lunchtime. There's like, there's like a foot, 14 inches of snow on the ground here. And this snowstorm was happening all over, all over Pennsylvania. He said, if I were you, I wouldn't go, but I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Right? I was 19. I wasn't 12. I wasn't 14. And I wasn't walking off into some life of sin. Right? He said, I, I, I tell you, I wouldn't do that. Well, in my mind, I heard, Dad said it's all right. <laughs> but I remember what he said. And I remember how mom felt. I remember how dad felt about it. I remember how the lady at the checkout register at Fergie's felt about it. <laughs> she said, you guys are doing what? Happened to be Dustin's aunt. She was there and we, we, got like, we got like five pounds of sausage and three pounds of bacon and two dozen eggs. We're ready for the mountains, right? <laughs> we drove to the mountains. In Mount Joy, we sat in traffic for two hours while Route 283 waited for trucks to be dragged off the side of the road. But then we put it in four-wheel drive, and we made it all the way up and, and found, ourselves, uh, found ourselves a quarter mile away from this cabin that was in the woods. I had never been there before. It was midnight. There was snow up to the middle of my thighs, and I was wearing blue jeans. We walked up to this cabin that was about as big as this stage that had a, a coal oil stove. It was in the teens, and the cabin was not open for us. And I had just spent a half an hour with Dustin dragging our five pounds of sausage and our cooler and all of our stuff up the side of a mountain in snow that was this deep. Dustin said he was really seriously concerned that I was going to die. <laughs> because it took a long time to get that little coal oil stove lit, and it was a long time till that thing was warm. And we had a terrible weekend. Really. I mean, the, the truck was stuck in the snow. It took us half the day Saturday just to dig it out. But I couldn't blame anybody except myself. Going into that, I knew what mom thought. And I had heard dad's advice. And I decided to do it on my own. Now, 25 years later, it's funny. And when Dustin and I get together once in a while, we still tell that story. Remember when we went to the shack? And yeah, I remember. I remember. But parents, I wonder, are, are you predictable enough that when your kids have to make decisions that might be life and death, that even though they have to make that decision on their own, they at least know what your counsel would be. And you know, you can't always be present when they're 19 or 22, but when they do call you and when they do ask, can you share it in such a way that they can hear it? Be present in the early years. Be predictable in the teen years. And then parents, pray in all the years. Some of you who are a little older, some of you who have adult children, you know how difficult it is when your children are adults and on their own, especially when they're not making the decisions that you wish they would, 
Prayer may be the biggest influence you have. Be present when you can. Be as predictable as, as you can be. But parents, you need to pray. You need to embody your priorities. You've released your children to the care of the king. Your goal all along was not to build little kids that would be your friends when they were 7 or 8 or 15. Your, your goal all along was to build somebody who could be friends of Jesus when they were grown. Are you praying for them? You know, if you're behind, if you weren't present, if you didn't show any kind of predictable values and, and if you hadn't been praying, you know, preaching may not help much, but you can pray. You can always pray. Now I'm going to wrap up with this. At the beginning of the sermon, I talked to two groups of people for whom parenting is a tough topic. Those who are parents who don't want to be, and those who long to be parents and who are not. But I'm going to close by specifically addressing a third group of you who may struggle with a sermon about parenting. Some of you have not been the kind of parents you wish you would have been. Or you're not living as the kind of family that you wish you were. Some of you have regrets, and some of those regrets go back a long way. Some of us in this room are afraid that everything is too messed up or too broken for any good to come of this. Maybe you're a single parent you wish you weren't. Maybe you're married and your spouse is a mess or even a bad parent. Or maybe you're afraid that you've messed up everything and it's ruined. Some of you don't have the kinds of relationships with your kids or with some of your kids that you would like to have and you wonder if it's too late. Let me close by giving you some encouragement. In Luke chapter 23, we pick up the story of Jesus Christ. This is at the very end of his life on earth. He's, he's hanging at this moment. He is hanging on a cross. But his cross is not the only one hanging there. We're told by Scripture that there were at least two others. Jesus hung between him, between the other two. And it says in Luke 23, verse 39, that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Because remember, the cross was just Rome's tool for capital punishment right? The cross was what the government did to put to death those who had been found guilty of some terrible crime. One of the criminals who hung there beside Jesus hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Listen to these words, church. This is Luke 23, 40. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. See, he knows. This criminal knows. On the last day of his life, in the last hours of his life, hanging on a cross, feeling like he deserves it, he knows the truth of who he is and what he's done. But he's finally woken up, because in Luke 23, 42, that criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a statement of faith, people. He looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you are entering a kingdom. You are a king. He said, Jesus, would you remember me? He knew he was a criminal. What did he say? He said to the other guy, he said, we deserve this. Now, you and I could argue for a long time. Did they? Should they? Huh? He said, I deserve this. I'm getting what I deserve. But he turned to Jesus in that, I mean, is there a later moment in life than that? He turned to Jesus. 
this thug. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Luke 23, 34. Today, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Church, that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel and the truth of the gospel is that Jesus can forgive and heal and restore anything that is broken. This is our hope. This is our only hope. Because even those who are present and predictable and praying are not perfect. Even those parents who have done everything still have to watch their children make bad mistakes sometimes because children grow up to be people who have to make decisions of their own. But even that man who had made a string of decisions that put him on death row, even when his parents were certainly watching and wondering perhaps was there anything they could have done, that man was touched by Jesus Christ and his eternity was changed. Parents, do your best to be present and establish your priorities. Do your best to live predictably and enforce your priorities. Pray hard and embody your priorities. But in all of this, recognizing that parenting ultimately is not about you, remember that it's about using your influence and opportunity to lay groundwork so that your children and those in your care have the best possible opportunity to ask Jesus to be their Savior, to recognize that God is their King, and to spend eternity in heaven with you. Will you pray with me? Lord, for those of us in this room who are parents, would you help us, Lord, to teach and train our children well, to guide them, to love them, and not to embitter or exasperate them. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've been wrong. Lord, for those who are parents in this room and, and who wish that they were not, Lord, would you please give them strength and patience and courage and would you help them to lean on the resources of the church and their godly friends so that the children in their care would understand that you are king and that life is found only in you. Lord, for those who are in the room who feel like they've made too many mistakes, who feel like they are too far gone or their children are too far gone, Lord, would you please speak your truth? Would the truth of your gospel, would you please deliver it in such a way that they can understand that if there is hope for that criminal on the cross, there is hope for every one of us and every one of our kids. God, would you fill us with that hope and, and show us now how to be present and, and predictable and praying in a way that makes sense for that kid at that place. And Lord, for those, for those who are not parents, the way that they would like to be. For those who are childless and frustrated, Lord, would you please send your love and your compassion? And Lord, would you please send your hope so that all of us, but especially for those who are hurting, so that we can recognize that this life and this story is not about us, but it's about you, and you are at work. Even though we don't see it, understand it, even though we can't always predict it, Lord, help us all to see that you are at work and help us to find our peace in you. Lord, now give us your discipline, your comfort, your faith, and your wisdom as we all move forward in the ways that we are called. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, I've taken a little extra of your time today. Thank you so much for that. But I hope you'll stick around for one more song with us. Will you stand and sing along with us?
by our love, 